IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon-Miller at Lizlin on the Twitters. And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And uh, guess what, guys? I know this is going to come as a shock to you, but brace yourself. We're going to talk about The Leftovers. Well, I got complaints, Liz. People <laughs> lodged complaints that I didn't talk enough about The Leftovers in the last episode, so now we're going to have to talk about it. Yeah. It wasn't... It, you know whose fault that was. I can't do it. <laughs> You just prioritize some things with other things. We could have talked about a lot last time. It's true. If I would have not done my job, <laughs> then I, we could have. You would have done have a different part of your job. Yes, if I would have. Well, no, I would have required not doing certain things. Right. Not just putting them off, just not doing them. But yeah. That is an option, which is fair. Yeah. And I mean, I feel bad. Like I. Look, I had I had this trip, and now we're actually recording several days before we usually do, um, because uh, Ben is heading off to ATX tomorrow. Um, to visit the leftovers, people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they probably think I'm stalking them by now. They're probably, I mean, if there's not a restraining order out yet, it'll be filed as soon as their last, like, official event is done. I mean, I'm surprised. I mean, they they they, they know you at the door at this point. Yeah. They do. Um, I mean, to make up for it, do you want to tell people briefly about like how, what your leftovers viewing experience was like? Um, well, I mean, I am curious uh, to hear your reaction, but that's definitely going to tie into, or to share my reaction and to hear your reaction. Um, and that's going to tie into what we're going to try to talk about today. I think I pitched an idea that may be a little not fully formed, let's right. say, but the general concept of what I wanted to talk about today was how faith can be rewarded in TV and kind of how belief affects television viewing experiences. Um, And obviously the ending of The Leftovers is a great way to start that conversation, but there's other examples out there of of kind of how much you believe in someone, in something, in a show, in a creator, in a writer, in an actor, how much you believe in them will affect your perception of the show as opposed to you know, something that, that you have a blank slate on or something that you're completely neutral going into. Like, um, we'll dig into this a little bit later, but Fargo and Twin Peaks or stuff right. that's going to come up. Uh, but first, Liz, I have never, I haven't asked you this at all. Um, you and I have not actually talked about the leftovers finale at all. No, this not is as- very much a live, un- unburdening experience. Yeah. Um when you watch the finale, right? And I mean, guys, if it, it goes without saying, it goes without saying. Spoiler alert! Yeah, spoiler going forward. We're gonna ruin the leftovers for you. Yep. Not that it can be ruined because it's perfect, but um, Liz, when you watch the finale, okay, got to the end of the episode. Yeah. Nora tells us what happened to her. Right. Did you think she was lying? I. I did not, and it's quasi your fault. My fault? Yes. No, because uh, this is, I, I actually was writing down things I wanted to talk to you about once you allowed me to talk to you about The Leftovers. Um, and one of the things I wanted to write down, um, aside from I cannot wait to attend your Leftovers-themed wedding. For sure. I, I, I can't. I, like, I, you're going to have the goat. You're going to have the doves. Well, I already talked to my sister, and I, we're going to get goats and doves for her wedding. Oh, that's so, right. Good. Yeah. So good. You, a trial run, figure out how it works. Get the beads. Right. You can order those, like, off, like, you know, apart from a party supply, you know, 
company. I'm very excited that my speech has been written for me now. Like I just go up there and play both parts of the of the bride and groom drunken yeah. Australians at the wedding and just lay all that out there. All That's set. all I'm going to say. All right. So, um but the thing about that the thing about that uh, the finale is that I was very glad to see that you were extraordinarily right about something. Very on the mo- no very on the money with one element of the finale, and you were super duper wrong about another part, which we'll get to, I'm sure. Um, very wrong. Very wrong. Um, and again, we haven't talked about this, but I know what Liz is talking about. Yeah, because I was because we had a very <laughs> long discussion in the office. Um, uh, but yeah, basically, the the reason I didn't really question it is because of this really nice piece you wrote about how the leftovers is super has really kind of exploded the idea of what a scene can be on television in terms of just have instead of showing something that's happening telling just having a character tell the story of what happened and just really letting the acting and the directing and carry the moment as opposed to like actually revealing anything so that's kind of once i saw where that scene what what was happening with that scene i was like oh my goodness it's the crown jewel of ben's theory uh, wrapped up for him at the boat, and that's how the leftovers is going to end. That's incredible. That's such a lovely moment for Ben. Um, I could tell you were going to be very excited about that. <laughs> Meanwhile, Ben was just weeping in the <laughs> corner, just totally distraught, praying for for Kevin to just reach out and hold her hand, and then he did. I lost my mind. <laughs> oh, that presumes you had it to begin with. Fact. Um, anyway. But yeah, so uh, I was because I was thinking about that piece. Uh, I was wasn't really questioning her. I, and I also thought that the fact, basically my head's, here's my, here's where my head was at. I, I didn't question whether or not she was telling the truth. And I was also very glad they didn't show us what was, was show us the other world. Like I liked the fact that it was a story. It was almost like a fairy tale she told, um, about what was going on in the other side of things. And I loved that. Um, and like, and I, that's, there was that part of my brain that's like, do I want to see what that's like? And I'm like, no, I got it. I got it. I figured it out. I've got a good picture in my head. Nora told me a good story. And I think that's kind of where I landed was that I didn't really care whether or not she was lying because I bought into the story. And I, I feel like as someone who loves stories, as someone who loves narrative, um, I, I don't find myself caring too much sometimes about whether or not what I'm seeing is real or true. I just want to buy into it. Um, which, you know, is something like something I'm, I'm more conscious of actually just getting back from a family trip to uh, the happiest land and well, happiest place on earth. Uh, Disney World is a place I don't, I, I, we, my family wanted to do it. We really did it. And, you know, there's this part of it where it's like, I'm not really on the planet. I'm not really um, on the moon of Endor going on a ride through ride through space via Star Tours. But I'm going to buy into that fantasy. And I'm just going to buy into it for this for this that same reason. I didn't even bother questioning Nora. So, well, yeah, that's that's a, my that's my very long answer to your very simple question. Well, it's never a simple question when it comes to the leftovers. Uh, but what you're talking about definitely applies to to the episode and, and obviously to TV in general. But it, it, with television, you are always being asked to suspend disbelief to a certain degree or another because right. these are these are all fictional written stories and you're being asked to believe them as if they were true. Um, you know, even if it's a big sci-fi epic, you have to at least believe in the relationships and the characters and the dialogue. Like there's very specific things that you're being asked to believe in no matter what. Um, and this is a, a very clear example of that. But speaking to kind of the immediate reaction, just to clarify, did you, like after you watched it did mm-hmm. you and you you bought into what nora was saying yes 
did you consider the possibility? Like, did you realize at the time that there was a possibility she was lying? You know, I think maybe in the back of my head the possibility was there, but I certainly, I certainly didn't. It wasn't like forefront. Uh, right. I definitely like. I saw commentary, lots of commentary afterwards about whether or not she was lying, and I was like, yeah, I, I totally buy into that. But I think I was also very struck by. Um, I think I was very struck as well be, beyond your coverage by Maureen Ryan's uh, variety piece, which if you haven't read it is ex- extraordinarily interesting and really a beautiful piece of writing um, where she talks about basically quantum physics, uh, quantum mechanics and her own life and uh, of how it relates to the leftovers. And it's really a beautiful piece of work. But the thing of the, the thing I've always, she brings up something that I always love about the concept of quantum mechanics, which is the idea of duality, like the idea that something can be there and not there. Um, and uh, it's always been something that's fascinated me as a person. And so with the leftovers, I like the fact that I, I feel like there, in my head, there was probably the possibility that she was lying, but I didn't mind existing in a they're not their state, if you will. Yeah, no, and that that makes perfect sense. And, you know, as it ended and as she was even going through the speech, what I was very appreciative of was the idea that this was another uh, emotionally satisfying, closure-providing, but still ambiguous ending. Like, it wasn't going to tell us all the answers, even though if you choose to believe it, you have more answers than you I mean, if you take Nora completely at her word... They, she literally tells you where all the where all the people went. Yeah, and I'm I'm really happy where I'm really happy where I came down on because I was on the same side. I I definitely believe Nora. I will always believe Nora because Kevin believed Nora. Um, and this is something that like even as it was happening, I'm going to come back to. But Lindelof said, and, and during one of our like at the end of our long conversation, that basically he's happy if if people believe that they're, he's happy if they believe no matter what. But you are being asked to some degree to put yourself in the character's perspective. So you at least want to understand why Kevin would believe somebody. So if you believe it simply because of that, then that's perfectly fine. Because you want them to, you want to understand why these characters could come together in that moment. And that's the most important thing outside of you choosing your own ending. Now, remind me, there was actually, this is the thing that surprised me about from, from your coverage of it. Apparently there was talk within the writer's room of showing the other side. No. Uh, well, there was there was discussion. There was. I didn't really get into this in my coverage. There was there was debate out there about whether or not they should show it. The the thing that I brought up and that I thought was interesting um, was that when they first showed this finale, it was at the New York screening for an Emmys event. Right. And it was on a I think it was on Thursday, I think. Um, and they showed it. This was the first time I was out there in public. Um, they asked everybody not to reveal anything on social media. And somehow that actually worked. Nobody revealed anything. Nobody spoiled the finale for anybody. Um, but more importantly, to the point, was their panel afterwards was hosted by Matt Zoller Seitz, who uh, is obviously a very influential critic and a very important critic to the leftovers and somebody that Lindelof has talked about or talked to and talked about and had an episode inspired by uh, at least a little bit uh, during season three. And the first question that Seitz asked was, why didn't you show any flashbacks during that final scene? Right. And Lindelof said he was just so taken aback by the question that he needed, that he kind of, like he gave him his answer, but he, he just, at some level, he needed to explain that if he would have shown flashbacks, that would have been some sort of confirmation of one side or the other. Right. Um, and when he said that, when he had, when he said, 
out loud for the first time that there there is a possibility, there is a belief system in place that Nora could be lying, right. the audience gasped. Like, the audience was shocked by this. Or at least certain members of the audience were shocked by this. And that has been my experience in talking to people as well. A lot of people, when they watch it, they see it very strongly one way or the other. They can acknowledge, yeah, that was ambiguous, but they had a very strong opinion. So when they're told the other side of it and all the evidence starts building up one way or the other, because there's a lot of evidence supporting both sides, as there'd have to be for it to be truly ambiguous, um, they're pretty surprised. Like, it's something that kind of knocks you back on your ass a little bit. And to me, it knocked me so far back because even though, like, I was able to identify this, I still wanted to ask Lindelof a question about the ending that I thought would be okay. Like, I thought it would be something where it wouldn't give anything away. Like, it wouldn't be too revealing. But as soon as I asked it, he just kind of... he. He didn't sigh or anything, but like I could tell, he was like, "Well, I can't, like I can't get into that." And I was like, well, and "I was like, oh shit, you're right, you can't get into that," because I wanted to know why Nora thought that Kevin wouldn't believe her. Like she says at the end of her long speech, she's like, "One of the reasons I couldn't tell you earlier is because I didn't think you'd believe me." And I was like, as soon as she said that, I was like, "You're fucking out of your mind. Kevin would believe you. Kevin has done things crazier than this." And, and, of course, he would believe you. That's a terrible, like, I didn't think it was a terrible reason. Everybody's afraid of, you know, revealing big truths to people, and, and that's an understandable emotion. But the other side of it that's important is her saying that is very much grounded in the idea that she might be lying, like that she this might be a story that she needed to concoct, and that's just another thing that she can heap on top of the stack. So well, he, he can't answer that question, Lindelof, without, you know, <laughs> without admitting that one side is true or the other when obviously neither are. Let me, let me toss this out at you really quick. Um, do you feel that you mentioned that Kevin of course Kevin would believe her Kevin's done all this crazy stuff do you think that Nora how much do you believe that Nora actually believes all the stuff he says has happened to him um, well, that's an interesting conversation in and of itself because of how much Nora knows right she's read the book but how much has Kevin told her right which is a different conversation um, and I, I don't I don't think it matters how much she used to believe him because obviously she was rejecting a lot of it before the time jump. What matters is where she landed by the time they got back together at the end of the series. Now, is there officially like a word a word on how many years? Take- no, but I mean, logically, it can't be more than about 15 because Jill just had her first baby. She was about 19 when we left her. Um so you're saying, so like, she, the outside angle is, like, tw- the outside would be 20 years. Yeah, that'd be the most. Yeah. So. But anyway, um, I think it's very, I think it's a very interesting discussion in terms of all these different sides and all the different evidence out there. I, I really like how some people who believe, who think she's lying have brought up a lot of points about how the episode is based in lies. Like Nora says at the very beginning of the episode that she she isn't somebody who lies. I don't lie. She's talking to the camera, and they said she was a liar. And she's like, I don't lie. And you're like, well, you... You, you know you who do. says that? A liar. <laughs> no. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I thought you meant the person behind the camera. I was like, well, no, the scientist is pretty truthful. But um, no, so Nora is absolutely a liar. Kevin, when he shows up, his whole story, well, not his whole story, but at least part of his story is a lie. Um, So there's a lot of lies built into the foundation of the episode that set up the idea that maybe she's lying at the end. Right. Which is an interesting, you know, position to take. And at the same time, you've got Nora, and we've known her for so long that she is somebody who, even when she lies, 
she's never afraid of telling the truth. She's never afraid of going up to somebody and exposing them for their bullshit. She kind of revels in that. So fuck your daughter. Fuck your daughter. Um, so there's there's the there's the two sides of this coin that are beautiful, and you can kind of choose your own path. Um, but the the response from audience members has been pretty fascinating to me so far. Yeah. Um, yeah. God, there's a lot we could still discuss about it. Um, I want to. I'm going to bring up the thing that you, you, I mentioned I was going to bring up earlier, which is that um, ways in which my my I feel like my faith in the leftovers was rewarded was not trusting and was they ain't dead until you see the body, mm-hmm. um, and that of course specifically refers to Lori who when last we left uh, was again in a state of death not death uh, having fallen off the boat to go scuba diving. And you and I had a very, we had a conversation where you were like, she's definitely dead. And you even like went as far as interviewing Amy Brenneman and she was talking about how we, she goes scuba diving to kill herself. Um, and then of course, Lori's fine. Well, that's where the writer's room debate comes yeah. in. And, and I know that, and you can go ahead and explain why like the, Amy Brenneman was not speaking of lies, lying to you when she talked to you about that. Um, at all, but why my faith in the show having more than one trick up its sleeve was rewarded, right? And that's kind of the thing. It's not a. It's not based in trickery whatsoever. It's it's based in the <coughs> idea that when they made it, when they wrote it, when they shot it, she was dead. Like they they'd written into the script that she was gone, and that was the end of Lori. Um, so when I talked to Amy Brenneman and she said that, like when she was making the decision and when it happened, that was absolutely the case. Even at the end of the episode, that's absolutely the case. You're supposed to believe that she's dead. Um, but this this choice brought the writers' room to an absolute standstill, and they couldn't move forward. They couldn't figure out how to crack, uh, how to break episodes seven and eight. They they were just depressed. It was almost too much for them, or it really was too much for them. Um, so when Lindelof went back, he was looking at the dailies and he was looking at her performance. Um, he there was there's a number of factors and there's an interview up if you want to read all of them um, about kind of what pushed him into the idea of all right let's at least go back and consider the possibility she's alive how can we if that's the case what would we do with it and they pitched a bunch of ideas but the one that that won everybody over and decided okay we are going to go back on this we're going to reverse everything and say that she's alive um, is the fact that that it tied in so beautifully to her being a therapist and and her being rewarded and the idea of being a therapist again because that's what she lost at the beginning that was what we saw in the flashback at the beginning of episode six that Lori lost everything when it came to being a therapist that's why she joined the gr she couldn't do her job anymore she didn't believe in it um she was looking for a way to get back to it throughout this whole process and what she was able to provide nora was what ended up giving her you know closure in that sense and and a rewarding life and 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 enough motivation to continue outside of just her family but there's still the possibility that she got underwater and she looked at the fish and the fish were so beautiful that she came back up like there's a lot of things that play into it but the idea narratively that that she and Nora formed this connection and it was the start of something instead of the end of something that's kind of what set in motion what happened and that being said the less talked about idea in the finale that could still very well be the case if you really wanted to be all doom and gloom and pessimistic about the leftovers is that Lori is dead and so are Nora and Kevin. Yeah and I mean there's a certain romance to the idea that if Kevin's dead then it like Kevin or Kevin's just dead but not dead you know he can't keeps coming back he keeps coming to fucking Australia. Sure. And 
but he, you know, he's because he can travel back and forth, and so it's you got your Orifice Neurodice type narrative there. But you know, that's reading maybe a little more into it. Well, the the, <laughs> the beauty, the beautiful thing about it is the way that it's shot, the way it's constructed. Like she's living out in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's a very isolated area in which it 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 resembles like a hotel kind of situation or a beach kind of situation or a bunker kind of situation but also the way that leader shot it there's so many there's so many different angles in which there's a close-up on a face and everything in the background is just pure white and it's a it's it's like a heavenly backdrop in which this is not supposed to be taken as literally as you may intend it and i, I don't really buy into this but again i love kind of the ambiguity ambiguity of that capturing of it like of that perception that could still exist and this ties all the way back to whatever you want to believe about it the important things the the emotional resonance um the, the closure that these people find no matter where they are in life or afterlife um it still absolutely applies and that's what's been important about the leftovers all along so that's what made it a pretty beautiful finale and then the power of belief is something that i think speaks to it, I don't think it has as much to do with this episode because I think the episode stands alone by itself, whether you were a leftovers nut or if you were just somebody who was kind of tagging along till the end. Um, but it does play into television. Like, it is something that I think comes up and affects how you see things in general. I mean, in the worst-case scenario that I can think of, it's the True Detective nut jobs, where even after season two aired and pretty much unanimously... Everyone agreed this was a pretty big disaster. There are still people who were so addicted to season one and wanted so badly to enjoy season two that they've convinced themselves through sheer belief that this is a great season of television. I mean, and there's, you can't say they're wrong because we're talking about something subjective. But at the same time, that kind of power, like that kind of belief, can it, it has absolutely colored their perception of the show. You semi-regularly tell me I'm wrong for believing certain things. Oh, absolutely. I feel like you're being much more generous to the people who like True Detective Season 2. Well, I mean, I, I'm happy to tell them they're wrong from, from my perspective, just like I'm always overeager to tell Elizabeth that she's insane and, and objectively wrong when she disagrees with me about something important, um, like, say, The Leftovers. But... Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 something that it definitely affects people in a specific way, and it's something that people will call out. Like, um, I, I mentioned earlier that we were going to mention Twin Peaks, and to me, what's happening in Twin Peaks right now is a very conscious decision by David Lynch. I think he's very aware of what he's doing. I think he's doing a beautiful job of it. I think he's setting up kind of the anti-binge mentality and teaching us to watch TV differently. And, and I mean, again, because he's a surrealist and because of all these different approaches that he takes to the narrative storytelling of television that other people do not i think that this is a very valid argument to believe in but other people see that argument and they say you're just drinking the kool-aid you just want to believe that lynch is taking us somewhere and really this has been a frustrating boring meandering five hours of television and i, I mean i don't agree with it but those people don't believe and i in at least some regard do believe and as a critic i think you're asked to kind of parcel that belief into an objective as well not an objective but a, a sound argument like yeah. where you can find evidence to support it but the belief still exists and it's it's something that will affect kind of how you're watching television i mean i think that's something that we all deal with like um i'm, I'm not going to specify what show i'm about to talk about because i'm still kind of processing it but there's a show that premiered that i had a lot of faith in 
um, initially based on its early episodes. And I've gotten to see through the finale and I am processing it to some degree and I have a few questions and I'm, I have some concerns, especially about how it goes forward. So uh, it's, it's one of those things where I feel like I put so much faith into it and I have, I still, I, I stand by that, but I'm still, I'm not totally sure if that faith was fully rewarded by the end of it. Um, and Liz, I'm really sorry. I don't want to, I don't want to call you out. And, and I know you said you didn't want to tell us what the show is, but it's obvious you're talking about flaked. <laughs> we all believed season two would be better. Oh my God. Did you actually watch any of no. season two? <laughs> no. Did anyone watch any of season two? Somebody had to, but I don't know. Who. They wouldn't give us screeners. Right. They didn't want us to watch it is pretty much, I think the point here. Yeah. Oh man. Where's that FYC campaign? Well, it's ineligible. It debuted. What about late. season one? That's a good point. Actually, I know. I think season one uh, debuted at two, two. I think I think they're completely out of this cycle. So we'll catch it next year. Yeah, 2018. Yeah. 2018 is going to be the year of flakes. You know it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think, um, let's throw this out as an example. The X-Files. Um, I mean, it's been 21, 22 years of that, sh- of that show being around, um, and... Uh, we've already had many, we've discussed many times on this podcast, uh, our complicated feelings regarding it. And part of that, part of those complicated feelings is the fact that there was some damn good television made in the name of that show back in the day. And it's being eroded. My faith in the X-Files has been defiantly, decidedly eroded over the last few years. I mean, it really, really that process started in with the with the x-files movie you can even probably go back to season nine technically and say that that's really the beginning of the end second x-files movie second yes. x-files movie the first one's good right i mean the first one's full of nonsense and plot holes no but, it's great i love it um yeah i need to talk to you about that no it's great <laughs> it's it's fun but nope, it's great how long was that be under her collar ben don't worry about it <laughs> I think she changed clothes but managed to make sure the bees stayed underneath her collar the bees are tricky they can switch they fly Stupid bee. Hate bees. Well, everybody does. Bees are dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Beads? Bees. <laughs> Beads. <laughs> Job did not approve. Oh, God. But no, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, and that's something to me where the X Files is such an interesting example because not only are you dealing with just a general concept of belief where it's like, man, I really want this to be good yeah. because I've got an attachment to it you're also dipping into something that was you know far before you were having uh, a professional critical mind about watching the x-files you were just like i fucking love the show so you're dealing with the nostalgia aspect that's brought into it as well whereas with um the the show that is to not be named uh it's something where we've been given reason to believe because of how great individual seasons are and again like to me you know, True Detective was a good example because I thought the first season was was fantastic. I really, really loved the first season for what it was, and watching it try to be uh, a fucked up, more serious uh, version of that was, you know, was hard. It was hard to process from the get go, um, and, it, and it is hard when when something gives you enough reason to think, well, maybe they're trying to do this, or your your critical mind is is opened up to different possibilities because you want to believe that they're not going to disappoint you. And and until there's evidence that they have, you can form arguments 
to support it. Or if you just are having fun with it, you can form arguments to support it, and that's fine too. But like there's the, the X-Files is an interesting example to me because of there's so many complications. Like it's something that is so grounded in who we are as TV watchers that that viewing process is going to be insanely complicated. Like I remember talking to you about it when it was airing, like when the new season was airing, and it was a, a total... 50-50 split of, of like, man, that scene was hilarious and fun. I loved it. And, God, that fucking sucked. You know, like, just... I had a week. lot of feelings. Yeah. So, I mean, it's... it's This is digging into some interesting territory of belief, but... Yeah. I kind of feel... Sometimes, you know that scene in The Simpsons where Homer makes the pig for the barbecue... And Lisa's gone vegetarian, so she does. She try, She sabotages the barbecue. I don't think she deliberately sets the pig a fly, a f- flying off in the into the distance, but that's what happens. And I always just remember, like Homer Simpson, it's only a little airborne. It's still good. It's still good. It's only a little muddy. It's still good. It's still good. Like sometimes I feel that way with TV shows, where I'm just like, like Unreal season two. It's only a little. It's only a little weird about the race issues. It's still good. It's still good. It's only a little complicated, overcomplicated. Uh, it's still good. It's still good. Yeah, there's, there is that desire to preserve things that are done by individuals you know are talented, or setting aside any sort of you know specific relationship with people, as even as as critics, as fans, as people who've never met them, whatever. Like setting that aside and just. A show that you identify strongly with as being good for a long period of time to suddenly be asked to reconsider that and, and see it as bad, which again with the X Files is a, a, a fascinating example. Um, it's, at least it's difficult because you want to defend it instinctually almost, even when you know better. At least with the X Files, I've gotten to the point where if your name is Chris Carter, you have I I, I I expect him to prove himself as opposed to I just take for granted he will do something good. It's interesting to, uh, from a critical standpoint, too, to have these, to have this knowledge in the back of your head, because you shouldn't be cutting people slack because of past experience. I'm, I'm very much a believer that whatever's not on screen doesn't matter. Like, I don't, I don't care about, like, when people, when I criticize a TV show and somebody comes up to me and goes, "Well, no, that was in the book, so it's fine." It's like that's a terrible argument. If it doesn't make sense on screen, if there's no justification for it in this narrative that I'm watching, you can't give me a reason outside of that to believe that it's good this also ties into your hatred of the marvel cinematic universe mm, yeah well and that's a much more complicated scenario because that's something where it is all technically on screen but how much do you have to watch to critique it is a comp i mean it's, it's yeah. like it's, it'd be like it's a weird film versus tv kind of thing where i i wouldn't want you to critique one episode of like i wouldn't want you to watch the leftovers finale critique it without seeing anything that came before it that I think it would be. I think it would still stand up in a certain weird way. But God, you're not in the right place. I mean, that'd be that'd be that'd be that'd be delightful nonsense. Actually, come to think of it, I don't know. Like, there's a part like the the thing the thing about the leftover finale is that there's such it has such beautiful simplicity to it that plot wise you might be really confused. But really, what it is is a very simple story about a man and a woman reconnecting. Yeah, like uh, the peripheral elements might throw you a little bit yes but you would absolutely engage with the emotional why is that lady sitting in a big bowl who knows well i mean they kind of well anyway they do kind of explain it right we're kind of yeah we're traveling down a crazy wormhole to the other side but hooray um, but yeah i mean it, it is interesting to just kind of cap off the general discussion on my end of of knowing that the, that belief is there having faith in something 
even when you're being asked to look at everything from an objective standpoint, from mm. a, from a neutral standpoint, I should say, where everybody is the same and you just have to judge what's on screen for what it is. Right. It, it shouldn't, like if I didn't know that Noah Hawley wrote this new movie that came out, it shouldn't change my reaction to the movie when I see his name flash into the credits. Like yep. it should just be, okay, this is the movie and this is this is how I reacted to it and this is how much thought I'm going to put into it and this is the analysis that I'm providing. Well, what do you think, uh, I don't want to start a new conversation, but really quickly, uh, what do you think, but what do you think of like say David Ehrlich ran his review of The Mummy today and... Uh. Heartbreaking. I know, but he he very much frames the movie in the con his review in the context of this is the worst Tom Cruise movie ever, and so he's building that upon Tom Cruise's previously established filmography. Yeah, I mean, again, like I think that's fine. Like that's that's something that's putting it into a perspective of uh, a lot of people are going to go to that movie because it's Tom Cruise and right. because you know he's the star that they're attached to, and that's that's okay. I'm just saying, like, and Ehrlich did a great job of that in, in his review. Like, he is a Tom Cruise nut. He loves Tom Cruise. But that did not color his interpretation of the movie. He gave it a D minus. Like, he's not cutting it extra slack because nope. he thinks Tom Cruise is a great actor or because he watched it and he was like, wow, those fight scenes are, are well performed by Cruise, so I'm going to keep bumping this up. And, I mean, I think that's that's something that we all are very good at doing here at IndieWire. Um, it's just an interesting conversation when it comes to television because if that was the first episode of television – and Tom Cruise, you know, had a lot of creative control over it, and you wanted to believe that eventually it would be able to set itself straight, you might watch that episode and be like, well, this is pretty bad, but I guess there's a reason to think it could get better. Mm-hmm. And you'd, you'd have to say, okay, this episode sucks, but, I mean, I'm going to keep watching because Tom Cruise is in it. Just like with movies, I'm going to keep watching Tom Cruise movies even though he made this horrendous piece of shit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But someday he'll reward your faith. Right. Personally, he already—I mean, he already has <laughs> so many times. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, while we wait for Tom Cruise to bless you, to heap his blessings upon you, what's Top Gun Two, what's, Maverick. What was the best thing you watched last week? Leftovers. Okay. It's the best. Cool. I'm not gonna. I don't. I don't throw out, you know, goat classifications this early. But it's something I'm gonna be thinking about. Okay. Okay. For a while. Yeah. Liz, what was the best thing you watched last week? Well, Ben, um, whilst on the plane, uh, NBC, if you're, if anyone from NBC is listening to this, your new screener app for the iPad is pretty good. It has a little couple of bugs when it comes to downloading stuff, but I was able to watch a lot a, a lot of your show, a lot of your programming on, on an airplane, and that was lovely. Um, so of the shows I watched, uh, Carmichael Show – Season three, there, it's it's one of those things where I found myself wanting to tell people what the jokes some of the, about some of the better jokes, and then I realized that I could never do them justice because I am not an eighth as funny as some of, as as Gerard Carmichael and his cast. Like it's just flawless how good some of those jokes are. So I very much laughed at some very inappropriate things, and I was very happy about it. Uh, have you gotten to watch any of that? Yeah, it's it's very very good. Yeah. Um, and then also playing house. Uh, yes. And uh, the only reason I mentioned both of those shows is that I didn't know they were both produced by A24. Mm-hmm. That's a fun little fun little fact for you indie film fans. Uh, that those are the two television shows made by A24 uh, are one of our more notable production companies of late. They do good stuff. They do. Those shows are excellent. Uh, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? It's a great question, Liz. And I, I think of it more in the existential realm of, I mean, is there a next? What is next? 
what could be next after we finish The Leftovers. I very much enjoyed a few of my peers' columns who are very open about the idea of we're facing a stark television landscape without The Leftovers. Um, Todd's column in particular about about how he briefly considered quitting TV criticism in general was very uh, affecting for me, let's say. Um, but no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited for a lot of things. I'm very excited. I feel lucky that Twin Peaks is on the air. I'm excited to dig into that that'll as be it your, continues. That'll be like your methadone. Yeah, that'll be, that should be good. And it's, it's going to last for so fucking long. Yeah. Which is just crazy to me. Um, we're going to be talking about Twin Peaks until September at least, you guys. Uh, but no, I'm uh, on, a, on a strictly traditional basis of how we look at this. I'm excited for Idiot Sitter. Yay! Idiot Sitter is great. And I may have more to say about this in the future. I'm not going to do it yet because I need to get some information. But uh, it premieres on Saturday, the Saturday before or before this comes out. So it's out. Um, watch Idiot Sitter, you guys. It's great. Comedy Central, Jillian Bell, Charlotte Newhouse? Charlotte Newhouse. Charlotte Newhouse. Um, both great comic talents. The show is so funny. So yeah. smart. Anything on the level of uh, the Shannon Tatum episode? I know that's a high bar. It's okay if the answer is no. It's interesting. I, I I don't. What's interesting about the Channing Tatum episode is I'm very excited to see Channing Tatum do it, but my excitement has transcended from when it happened to being like, oh my god, Channing Tatum is so fun in this, and I love this episode too. I'm just really glad Channing Tatum put a spot, put his spotlight on this show. Mm-hmm. So now I'm just, I just want more of the spotlights to get over there, so people will watch it. Like I'm, I just want them to appreciate what is there and not even have to worry about being distracted by guest stars even though <laughs> Michaela Watkins is great she's Aww. she's got a cameo in the second episode or no the first episode I think it's the first episode um just fantastic love her yeah uh what about you Liz what are you looking forward to if there's you know even if you know there is a forward to I'm look. looking forward to writing Damon Lindelof a nice letter saying please for the love of god make a new tv show because Ben is gonna drive me freaking insane if you don't Damon's just going to respond with what do you think I'm insane then I have to deal with Ben all over again for <laughs> fucking god knows how long maybe if I promise like keep you on a leash or something <laughs> yeah good luck good luck Liz um, but aside from that, uh, I'm looking forward. I, I, the next thing, next big thing on my list to check out uh, is Preacher, because um, I'm on the hook for some. I'm, no, I'm not necessarily reviewing that one, but I am uh, on the hook for some interview type stuff. Uh, season two is going to be pretty different from season one, to all my understanding. It's going to be, and it's going to be equally profane and uh, delightful in many respects. Hopefully, and you know, it's got all your favorites, uh, Dominic. Oh, Dominic Cooper and that the uh, Joseph Gilgan and Rose uh, Ruth Nega. There you go. I was good. I'm ending. I'm ending. Took you too long. I'm ending on the big. All you got to do is is bookend it with Ruth Nega's show is coming back. Ruth Nega is great, and then everybody will fucking watch Preacher. I mean, right? That's enough, right? That's basically how it works. Should be. Yeah. The law of Ruth Nega. Yeah, Roof Neg is great. That show exists on television, and I that doesn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, uh, you'll be able to read all about this stuff and probably more about the leftovers. I have faith in Ben and keeping this going. I got at least two more in me. Yeah, like guaranteed. Like things you definitely have to write in the yeah. next like two weeks or something. Yeah, cool. Look forward to reading them, and you'll read them on IndieWire.com, uh, where you'll find other 
non-leftovers related stuff, we apologize for that. But I'm sure there will be something to at least distract you from the, you know, existential dread that the show being over now causes within you. Yeah, our, our mission to provide purpose to a life that has lost it very specifically in this one show continues and uh that exists also on the film side where you can listen to podcasts by our very own eric conan and thompson on screen talk uh who are digging into all of the summer blockbusters out there both good and bad both good wonder woman bad the mummy um and then you can also listen to our own michael schneider on turn it on podcast where he'll be discussing even more television than we do if that's possible uh as well as our filmmaker toolkit podcast by the very good Chris O'Fault. Yeah. We actually all... had Mr. Robot Sam Esmail on yeah. last week. Yeah. So. Say, uh, uh, Chris has been, uh, does does actually do a fair, a fair uh, more TV than you'd expect. And he's got a really interesting take on it. Great Americans column, if you guys missed it. Yeah. Great Americans fans, he's got a good behind the scenes, how they build Brooklyn out of, you know, existing Brooklyn. Looking <laughs> like the fucking 80s. So... Cool. And uh, you also, there's a, they started up officially uh, the Screen Talk Emmys edition podcast with, cool. with Mike Schneider and Ann Thompson. So uh, listen for that on the uh, Screen Talk feed. Uh, but beyond all that, uh, you can find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. You can find Liz on Twitter at Lizlet. That's with an I and an E. Correct. We will be back next week. And in the meantime, you guys. Will we? Yes, we will. <laughs> because everyone is going to do what I tell them. And they're going to keep watching television. Why? <laughs>